Welcome to Season 1, Episode 9. In this season finale, I have a special guest, my sister Hannah. We will be catching up and discussing every note played by Lisa Genova. So I've known Hannah her entire life, and um, she has provided a lot of motivation and encouragement as I have started this podcast. We haven't actually lived in the same household for over 10 years, and we haven't lived in the same state for maybe the last four or five years. Um, We get to see each other a couple of times a year, but I am really glad that she has agreed to be on the show. Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Catherine. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I remember... Uh, the first time you telling me that you wanted to start this idea. So I'm excited to actually be a guest on your podcast. So yeah, you are one of the um, guinea pigs that I tested a lot of different, really weird show names with um, lots of fun titles that we came up with. And ultimately, I just, um, I think I ignored everyone's suggestions and chose my own. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna really say fun. I did have I did have some favorites that got that got knocked out, but that's okay. Yeah, it's still is a good <laughs> title in the end. So. Oh, thank you. That's great. A little less scandalous than some of your other options. <laughs> I did have I did have a few scandalous ones in there. You know, some some funny ones. I match um, your steamy books. <laughs> yes, you. I do have a, a penchant for steamy books and. So tell me more, Hannah, about what's going on with your life these days. You've had some big changes. What's keeping you busy? Yeah. So um, Alex, uh, my husband and I, we just moved to Seattle, Washington in January, um, east of east of Seattle and, and Redmond, Washington. Um, Alex got a job with Microsoft. And so we came out here and I was able to find a job. Um, I work Um, I used to work as a sign language interpreter, as you know, and so I got a recruiting position um, with a sign language interpreting company um, here in Seattle. So we've been just working and kind of getting settled into our apartment and to our new city. Um, We finally left the student life and graduated to adulthood, so it feels nice. Um, I just bought a bike this week, so I feel like you. um, That's exciting. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Alex has had his bike since um, about February, and he's been biking to work, but I just bought awesome. my bike this week because it's finally, you know, weather that we might be able to go out like on weekends, so we went biking this last weekend. We went on a 10-mile bike on Friday night, bike ride, and then um, just last night, we went for like another two miles for just a little bit to get out, so... That's been fun. That is so fun. I love riding my bike. In fact, um, my login screen on my computer is like just a stock photo of a bicycle. And I was like, oh, I love biking. Yeah. Um, we live really close to a trail here. We've been biking in the past. Um, in fact, when I first moved to the city that we're in now, my first ride on the trail, um, I totally biffed it. And I like got oh. my elbow and my knees all scraped up and I still have scars from it. <sighs> um, <laughs> but I got back on the on the bike. Um, but I really miss biking to work and things like that. The where I live, it doesn't, it's not really as feasible as I would like it to be. So I miss that aspect. Um, do you, when you did your 10 mile bike ride, was it, did you have to drive somewhere or did you go from your apartment? No. So, um, and I've actually, I have seen that trail, um, at your, where you live. Um, so we kind of have a trail like that at our apartment complex, um, that comes up right to our, um, the back door of our building. Um, so we can jump on a paved trail that 
actually will go off from our place all the way into Seattle. Um, so that's the trail that Alex takes to work. Um, just, well, he only goes like 20 minutes, uh, mm. three miles. Um, but yeah, so that trail is that's awesome. very, very long. So, um, yeah, so we went just kind of up and then on, if you go the opposite way of Seattle on the trail, it takes you kind of near a lake. So we, on Friday night, we biked around the lake and then, mm. and then we were going to bike to go get dessert, but it was just getting too dark. And so we, we drove to Dairy Queen afterwards. So, you know, <laughs> all that good exercise was kind of probably undone, but that's okay. Oh no, that's perfect. Oh, that sounds so fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really, really great. Yeah, it's fun. Um, and we have a, I'm really excited. We have our local farmer's market that's oh, it opened up this last Saturday, but we didn't get to go. Um, so I'm hoping to bike over there this next Saturday. So I'm excited to do that. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I miss, um, I miss sort of being in a, in a more walkable location and, um, bikeable location, like where we lived before we moved here, definitely had a lot more places to, that were sort of bike destinations. I know you live in a really great urban location. You can walk to Trader Joe's and well, I mean, the fact that you have a Trader Joe's, I'm already jealous of, but <laughs> Um, that you can walk yeah. to it. I'm like, you know, just living through you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've, I can't remember if you've mentioned it, um, on your podcast before, but have you mentioned to your listeners that you're moving or is your new place going to be more walkable or. Yeah. I um, haven't mentioned it yet on the podcast, but I have announced it to my coworkers now. So it is public. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so that's good. Yeah. So I will be, I'm actually moving, um, to a new city. My husband is, as I think I mentioned before, he's in medical school and a certain portion of his class has to do, finish up the third and fourth years of their training in a different city because the city that we're in, the hospital does not have the capacity to have all the students train at the medical, um, at the, at the hospital center, the medical center that we have here that I actually work at. Um, and for a few more weeks. Um, and then we're moving to this other city. I've got a job um, with the local government down there. Um, and yeah, so we were renting this little house. We're kind of changing it up a little bit. I, we've, we missed having our house in St. Louis. And so we're um, renting a house at this new place. Um, and there is actually is a park with a trail that goes pretty far. And there, it actually goes out to, there's like a botanical garden um, several miles away, I think, but probably would be a nice sort of day trip. I'm, I'm guessing it would be like maybe 20 miles round trip, maybe not even that. I don't know. Um, uh-huh. But I'm, it might only be like 15, 10 or 15 miles round trip. So it would be perfect just for a little day trip. Um, yeah, so there's that. And then there is a frozen custard store um, that is like 20 minute walk away, I think. So it's not quite, it's not, it's still very suburban, but it feels a little bit more urban adjacent. I feel like it's going to be a little more bikeable. It's on a a city grid, like a street grid. Um, Instead of like where we are now, it just feels very suburban with like these big, you know, five lane roads that don't feel very bikeable. Um, But this is going to be a mostly flat street grid. So I feel like we'll be able to bike into the downtown area a little bit more and maybe do a little more biking. We'll have a garage that we can store our bikes in. So it'll be easy to get them in and out. Cause it's been kind of like, we have to bike, we have to walk them through our apartment in the carpet. <laughs> um, That's so exciting. To take I'm our bikes out right now. You. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. It'll be fun. Um, we're looking forward to that move, even though um, really sad to leave all, all of 
the people that we've met here. Um, it was unanticipated. We didn't necessarily expect that we were going to be moving it again. Um, but we are. So. I'd say you never know what life's going to throw at you. So. You never do. <laughs> um, tell me more, Hannah, about what you like to read. What is your genre? I know it's not steamy romances. <laughs> I haven't I quite gotten into steamy romances. Um, I probably mostly stick to, I really like historical nonfiction. Um, sorry, his, historical fiction um, and young adult fiction. Um, and mm -hmm. recently I've kind of tried to be a little bit more um, like an adult so that I can have more conversations with other adults about books <laughs> I read. Because um, sometimes they're like, that's a kid's book, but they're just so good sometimes. Oh, but young adult is so good. I love young adult too. They are. Um, so yeah, so I've been reading some memoirs recently that I've really enjoyed. So um, that's kind of been been more fun too. Do you remember so. the name of any of them? Um, yeah, well, I've read um, Option B by Sheryl Sandberg, which was a really good one. That one's kind of, I don't know if that's more of like a, that's not exactly a memoir, but um, I'm currently reading Educated by Tara Westover. Mm, yeah. For the, Oof. the first time. And then I read um, Chasing Slow by Erin Lochner, which was a really good one too. Seeing. What, yeah. when do you find time to read? Um, so I work about 40 minutes, um, 40 minute bus ride um, away from where we live. So usually when I ride the bus to work um, is when I will read. Um, I usually do ebook or kind of like audiobook, um, just because when I'm reading on the bus, it's kind of hard to carry a book with me. Um, so that's usually when I read, um, sometimes, sometimes during the evenings, but usually when I get home from work, I'm kind of just brain dead. And so unless it's an audiobook, I, I probably won't read in the evenings, but definitely on my way to work and my way home um, while I'm on that bus. So you can get a lot of reading done just in a commute. I know. Um, I actually listened to um, a couple audiobooks this winter, and it was I had like a 15 minute commute, which is not very much. But then sometimes I have to go across. Um, our, our medical center has two different campuses, and so I work at one campus and have to go to, across the other one. It's another 15 minutes, but um, just like again, those little spurts, 15, 20 minutes, you can really knock out um, a long audiobook in, in a few weeks. So it really is amazing how much you can get, get done. Yeah. And I've become kind of addicted to like changing the speed. And I know you've mentioned it before, like changing the yeah. speed of the audiobook. Um, and I think you can get through a lot more of the book when you just speed it up a little bit. So yeah, I totally agree. In fact, I think that's um, sort of actually um, a hot tip for podcasts too, especially like this podcast that's kind of a conversation. Um, it can it can be a little bit slower than some of the entertainment you might be consuming, someone reading at a, at a very fixed pace or whatever. And so on some of the podcasts I listen to, as well as some of the books that I listen to, I will turn it up to one and a half or two times speed, depending on the speed of the reader, because I read faster like when I read my with my eyes, I read faster than people would speak. And right. so I can generally keep my and keep all the information and, and understand what's going on. Um, if it's at one and a half times speed. So that is nice. Every note played by Lisa Genova takes the reader through the progression of the devastating disease 
ALS, through storytelling. Richard is a famous concert pianist whose life has revolved around his career to the detriment of his relationships with his ex-wife Karina and their daughter Grace. When Richard begins losing control of the muscles in his hands, his career as a concert pianist is over. Richard is diagnosed with ALS and finds himself at the mercy of others as he continues to lose more and more muscle function. As his health declines, he and Karina find themselves navigating old relationships in a new way. Warning, there will be spoilers past this point. So let's go ahead and get into our discussion. Um, you and I actually both play the piano. We and we've both taught piano lessons. So what did I was for me, one of the interesting things about this book really was the music involved. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what you thought of the way the book portray, portrayed the music in their lives. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was it was very interesting, just like all the subtleties that were there um, and with the style of writing that she used, um, just as like simple as like using something like a metronome to compare to like his heartbeat or something like that, mm -hmm. right? Like how yeah. just it felt like you were almost listening to music as you read the book because of how much detail she gave. And maybe it'd be interesting to talk to someone that, that doesn't play the piano to see how that um, affected them. But for me, it was very, it added so much more to the book um, to kind of feel that as you read. Um, and then I think it was interesting how the parts of the disease were kind of compared in musical terms to, um, yeah, I think it was really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. I couldn't pick up as much on that, maybe because I, I just picked up on the metaphor and it made sense, but I wasn't noticing how much it was music. But I did, but there were a lot of music metaphors in there. Um, I also the first scene where he's playing um, Schumann's is it Fantasy Opus Number Seventeen, Fantasy and C think, Opus Seventeen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm pro I've probably heard this before, but I don't I don't remember what it sounds like. And so I just the very first page, I opened up my phone because I was reading a hard copy book. And so I opened up my phone and put on YouTube a, a version of it and just listened to that while I was reading the book. And I, I did that several times throughout the book. And it was really kind of fun because I haven't listened to classical piano music in a long time, actually. I mean, I listened sometimes I listen to classical music, but a lot of it's orchestral, or it's kind of like new agey stuff on Pandora. I mean, it's just kind of background music. But like this was the first time in a long time I've listened to just a piano solo, um, just kind of intentionally. And that was really, really fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, well, we were obviously talking about this outside of this podcast. Spoiler for those that realized we're sisters and talk more. Um, but when you mentioned, you told me before that you had listened to the music. And so I looked that up and there's like an actual um, playlist on Spotify that has in order of how they are in the book all of the songs um, oh, that's from the really book cool. in the playlist. So I was like, so I listened to that at work one day. It was really cool. That would be really fun. I That's really cool. I really would enjoy that. Um, and I loved, so it was interesting to kind of see Karina play, do teach piano lessons because you and I have both taught piano lessons. And yeah. there was this one scene where she had this kid um, who didn't practice and he's like looking at this piece of music like he doesn't even remember how to read. And sh and normally she'd say like, oh, well, I normally like would help him out, you know, give him a few minutes to struggle and then help him. But she just like she was tired and burnt out and um, 
fantasizing about her ex-husband in the living room, um, you know, just dying and getting off her hands, honestly. Um, and so she just lets him stare at the music until he finds middle C. And I thought that was just, I could totally picture some of my students because I have been there before where it's just like a long day. It's the last student. They're late and they're you're supposed to like, they're paying you for 30 minutes and it's just like, fine. Can you, like, you haven't practiced and the whole time I've known you. <laughs> and so yeah. I totally identified with that. Oh, so much. And well, it's hilarious even because I think in that scene, if I remember correctly, he, um, Richard is like choke, somewhat choking in the other room, right? He's choking on right. his yeah. own saliva and she's just so fed up with going to, you know, help him. And so she's just kind of like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to do either of my jobs. I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> hope they both go away. But my favorite is when, you know, it kind of gave a little bit of a the, the the young boy's face of like are you gonna do anything like because he's <laughs> hearing that right and I just think yeah. about how many times you know we taught we both taught piano at home and so many things were going on in our house while we were teaching piano and I remember yeah. watching tv while you taught piano and and then <laughs> when I taught piano we had our nieces and nephews in the house and sometimes just yep. conversations would be going on and you would just see that student look at you and be like <laughs> what the heck is going on right now? Yeah. I felt, I felt connected to that as well. So yeah, it made me think a lot about our piano teacher, um, Mrs. Fleischer too. Um, just the, I mean, just, I don't know. Piano teaching is and teaching in general, I think is just one of those things that is a labor of love and is so thankless. And, um, I was just thinking a lot about her, about how much, how many hours she put in to, you know, helping us learn piano and even when we didn't practice and or I didn't practice sometimes but it made me think of that so it was kind of fun yeah I definitely thought of her a lot while we read this book so it was fun um so what did what had you known about ALS um before the the disease that Richard has before the movie and by movie I mean book had not really had much experience other than like the ice bucket challenge that was such a fad one summer and that was for ALS also being a sign language interpreter um anytime I tell people that I know ASL they instantly think it's something related to ALS and so interesting kind of like and so that was kind of like my first introduction was like well what is ALS and so that I like you know, learned more about it then. Um, but yeah, I didn't know a lot. I didn't realize how fast it would, it, it could um, affect someone's body and how extreme that could be so quickly without having that really be genetic or anything like that. So yeah, I I really hadn't known anything. I did not do the ice bucket challenge, although I saw everyone else do it around me. Um, but, and I had heard, and I kind of had known about Stephen Hawking. Um, right. I never watched the movie um, that he, that was about the him. The Theory of Everything? Theory of Everything, about yeah. Hawking? Yeah. Yeah. H- had you seen that movie? I had. And, and that's interesting, too, because Stephen Hawking lived such a long life. Um, yeah. And so it's so much different than this book where I felt like Stephen Hawking's Mm -hmm. disease did not progress as fast as it did in this book. And I was actually talking to my medical student husband who um, is not a doctor, but, you know, likes to talk like one. Um, 
and he's like they actually think that Richard Hawking had a different disease Steve or Hawking. something like it was similar presenting but it was because of the fact that he lived so long mm-hmm. um and had so much like they think maybe it wasn't quite ALS um oh, but something very very similar I don't know I mean he's definitely a huge outlier obviously um Richard's disease progressed like he was diagnosed and within a year he was he had died right um but just some of the interesting things you don't think about like just the lack of human contact how he hadn't had a hug from anybody and how he um you know like he couldn't scratch his own head like just different things like that were really eye-opening i think she did a really good job of showing the symptoms and the progression of als um what did you think about Richard's decision to not tell his family, his daughter, about his disease? Um, I, I definitely think that um, secrets aren't good. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you talk about like how long it had been since he had had a hug. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it kind of is sad to, if you look back at even before the disease, how long it had been since he had really made contact with his family, even Karina or Grace. Um, And so I think, I think it was, you know, while I think it was, I think it was selfish of him to not tell his family. I think he, you know, I think he'd obviously been hurt by them, but at the same time, he didn't give, he could have had so Mm -hmm. much better of a relationship had he connected with them sooner, you know? Yeah. I think this story was just like, it was just kind of depressing and sad on, on lots of different fronts. Um, yeah. Like I didn't really feel like I was sad that he died, but I was also sad that I felt like he never, like he never really opened up and, and really lived to a certain extent. I mean, he had this glamorous lifestyle of, of concert pianist, or whatever, but I mean, it was just depressing that he was basically unable to communicate by the time he realized he wanted to communicate with the people that were most important to him. Right. Um, it was really tough. Even to the point of not banking his voice when he could have, you know, that was, I think that was the hardest part for me to read was just realizing, you know, you could, you had your voice for so long and mm-hmm. you didn't do anything and you had the information, you know? Yeah. He was in denial for about, about everything for so long. Absolutely. And um, yeah, that was kind of frustrating. The, the opportunities that he kept missing, even after he knew he had this disease, um, he kind of still kept his same, um lifestyle and didn't bring people in right which and you know obviously i can't imagine what that would feel like so the denial is definitely real but yeah i was reading at the end of so that like the acknowledgments of in the book that i had um and i guess she based this off of so so lisa genova wrote a book called still alice it became an oscar nominated or winning movie um which i haven't seen or read um, but the co-director of that or something like came down with ALS. And so she kind of used their, his story kind of as a springboard for, um, this book about ALS and kind of making, giving it awareness and things like that. So it was just interesting, um, how she kind of had that personal, personal connection to someone who was also an artist, but was kind of maybe the opposite really digging into the relationships and and digging into their life of what they had 
What did you think about, so I was actually talking with mom about this, um, our mom, <laughs> on about this um, yesterday, it was Mother's Day, and we were over there and she was just talking about how um, the book really did a good job of documenting the ALS symptoms, but she didn't feel connected to the characters at all. What did you think about that? Did you feel connected to the characters of the book? Um. I think I, I felt a little bit connected to Karina, but um, but maybe not as much as other books. Um, I do think, you know, it was interesting. Karina's history was really interesting, just kind of going from being young and in love and both being passionate about music and piano and then just to see where it ended up and then the fact that she was still caring for him. All of that was really interesting and I felt like I felt like hers was really the deepest um, story that the, the book was able to kind of dig into. Um, I Yeah, with Richard, he kind of just felt very distant. Um, and Grace was such a small part, part of the book that you really didn't get to connect with her either. But Yeah, I agree. I think Karina had the most character development. And I also think she was the most sympathetic character. I mean, so... All throughout the book, they hint about, you know, the betrayals that they each gave each other or they each had. And the betrayal that Richard um, did was basically, well, a couple things. He sort of prioritized his career over Karina's intentionally, I feel like. And then he also um, had multiple affairs. And then Karina had, um, basically Richard wanted more children, but Karina lied about taking um, fertilization treatments or fertility treatments and was in fact using birth control. Um, what did you think about, um, those two, that betrayal? Like, did you, I, I, I guess I feel like on my end, I still feel like Karina had the most sympathetic story, but maybe that's just because I identify with her more. What did you think? Well, I thought it was interesting that you don't really find out Karina's betrayal until very near the end um mm -hmm. and it kind of it, it mentioned that she had done things but you couldn't quite understand uh, for at least for me i couldn't quite understand right. what had happened and why he was so hurt and upset um so yeah i definitely and i think affairs are one of those things that they just hit a spot with me and you can't really you you can't go back you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm just gonna be I like the same um, <laughs> sorry you're done you know um, so that's kind of where I was with Richard. Um, but at the same time, I think I can see where Karina, I, at least I can see where Karina was coming from. If she felt so betrayed that she wasn't about to tell him that what she was doing and just kind of put him into this thought process of, you know, mm -hmm. my body can't do it or, you know, you're not, you know, this isn't working or whatever, but it wasn't really that. So I, I don't think, obviously it wasn't right for her to do that, but um, I guess I don't, I don't really know which came first because it seems like their move to Boston was the first thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And she obviously wasn't planning to have Grace, at least, did, right. is that what you understood? Yeah, she wasn't planning to have, I don't know if she was planning to have children at all. I mean, Yeah, I that was kind of a surprise for her, I think. Right. And so I think that was kind of just like, I think that's when her, she kind of went, 
she just kind of hit rock bottom as to th- mm-hmm. you know she had kind of always dreamed that she could get back and so then I think it was one of those what I felt was like it was easier to blame Richard for all these things um, than to take part in the fact that you know the, especially the longer it got you know she could have gone mm-hmm. and played jazz again and she didn't um, she continued to just kind of put that on him for all of his mistakes mm-hmm. so what do you yeah that's interesting do you think that wanting to put blame on him and blame him for her lack of success maybe due to lack of trying really um do you feel like that's what kept her in the relationship in general i mean i, I kind of wanted it was kind of interesting because she she talked about oh well she had this you know sense of catholic um propriety that you don't divorce but i'm like well but you're using iud i'm pretty sure that's against the <laughs> rules too um <laughs> But I, I just, I kind of didn't know what really kept her in other than maybe she felt duty bound. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And I think, I think also it was easier to blame him than to take, mm-hmm. you know, responsibility for anything else. Um, yeah. She got, she got pity from people because he had done horrible things. And so um, she, was able to keep that. Um, I think there, it was interesting at one, you know, they mentioned a few times throughout when Grace would say something about Richard and Karina would kind of cringe to, to realize that she had spoken mm-hmm. so negatively about him in front of her. And I think right. there were times when she realized he's not the only one at fault in this right. relationship. And so I think right. that hurt, that was hard. And I think, but I think it was easier with her friends, you know, was it Elise? Was that her friend's name? Yeah. Elise, you know, had been trying to get her to go to New Orleans for, for years and she wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, right. When that's, that was so easy for her to have gone and have enjoyed it, but she didn't because mm-hmm. it was easier to blame Richard for, oh, well, I'm, mm-hmm. in, I'm living here. I can't enjoy jazz anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, I did think about sort of the theme because I, I think there are a lot of like they talk about what marriage means and marriage is a partnership and it's a two way. It's like it takes two people to tango um, both with the mistakes that are made sometimes and also with the successes. Um, And it's really, really tough. And I was thinking about the theme of giving up, you know, she gave up a lot of herself for her spouse and the choices that he made um, with where they lived and everything um, and I thought about kind of the parallels in my life, not that I'm really giving up that much, but, you know, in the last little bit, we've moved for my husband's schooling and um, put my career on hold a little bit. Um, I was able to find, I'm able to find jobs that are relevant to my career, but definitely not, I'm missing out on the longevity of being able to rise in the ranks in an organization or be able to kind of really dig in. I mean, here we are two years later moving again for a place that we know we're going to be for two years and then and then residency after that, which is probably three or four years. So again, it's just kind of this this cycle. Um, and, you know, you've moved for your spouse too as well. You've changed, you know, I mean, you changed universities, colleges so that you could um, be close to your spouse. I know that set, that was additional paperwork and extra classes and things that you had to do. Um, I just kind of what you thought about, you know, how do you really hold on to your identity when you get married? I know that, um, and, and, and the, uh, the inevitable give and take that has to happen 
for it to be successful? Yeah, I, I think that's, it's hard. I, I'm not sure I figured out the answer to that. Maybe you have all knowledge and can share with your younger sister. Oh, no. But, um, <laughs> Um, I think it's hard, you know, I think when you and it's interesting, I felt the same way as they explained in the book. But you know, when you're dating, you spend 24 seven with that person, you're so just want to spend every minute every whether it's on the phone or in person or whatever. Um, you know, you want to spend so much time with them. And then once you get married, you realize that can't that isn't sustainable and you can't <laughs> continue doing that. And so then Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, I kind of, that kind of put me in a spot where it's like, oh, well, I did this for a while and now, now where am I, you know, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I think you always have to be actively seeking out interests um, and finding ways to incorporate that into your life. But I don't think it's easy. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like you can just easily fall into just kind of habits of, and I think it's easy to to put that blame on the other person if you're if you're not careful too it's a lot easier to just say mm-hmm. well this is because of you you know <laughs> right Which isn't always right. fair because it is. the decisions it, yeah. are made together hopefully they are yeah and that's I think that's sure. where also um this book seemed to be that Richard kind of made the unilateral decision to move them to Boston right um even though he didn't necessarily need to be there it sounded like um he but yeah, so hopefully decisions are made together. But even then, I think it takes a lot of work to work out work out that balance of um, give and take within a relationship to making sure each each partner has what they need. Um, yeah, it's been interesting to kind of see that. Say, so I think also in the book, it you know, it mentioned he only stayed in at the conservatory in Boston for a little bit and then went on tour, and they could have easily moved back to New York um, for her mm-hmm. to have been at least involved socially in that scene, whether or not she was going to be going on tour or working full time, at least she would have been closer to the community there. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like she hesitated for Grace's sake. Cause I think Grace right. had been born at that point in time. And she felt maybe she felt like a suburb was a better place to raise Grace. Or maybe she had by that point in time kind of given up or, or taken on the role of martyr and didn't want to give that roll up either. Um, it is interesting. What about Richard's relationship with grace? And he said, and grace, grace said, you chose piano over me. And Richard said, yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I think it kind of goes, but I felt like it went back to his own relationship with his father. I think he just didn't have the example of how to to be a father. And so I think in the end, he just chose what was comfortable like his own father did, um, which is interesting because it was something that hurt him so much by his father rejecting him as a pianist and as a musician. But I think when Grace wasn't really interested in piano, I think it kind of became hard to put her over something that was easy for him. Hmm. What do you think? I don't know. I, yeah, I felt that, I guess I really didn't have any sympathy for Richard at all. I mean, I'm sad that he had a disease that was terrible, but I kind of just felt like he was a horrible person. Um, so I, I don't know if that was just the writing that didn't make me like if the writing didn't endear me to him or if, um, yeah, I mean, I felt bad for his troubles, but he just, 
he was mean even when he was needing to reach out for help. And so his relationship with Grace, I, I guess I just chalked up to he valued he just valued piano at the highest of everything. And it made me kind of think it was weird that he wanted more kids because he didn't have time and energy to give to his one child. Um, it was kind of just, it didn't make sense to me. And so I kind of felt like in, in his situation, it was um, just him being completely selfish and, and valuing the thing, maybe he didn't feel comfortable with having a baby and didn't know what to do. And so maybe he knows what to do with the piano. And so he just went into the mode of what he was comfortable with and his comfort zone. But I don't know, I still feel like there could have been more effort on his part to have reached out over the years. Yeah, I mean, obviously, any any effort would have been better than what had been done. So. Yeah. Um, so after all that, you know, the strife between Richard and Karina, um, and Karina now finally getting to theoretically live her own life, what did you think about Karina's choice to bring Richard home and care for him? Uh, well, it was funny because I, I was talking to mom, our mom as well, um, about this book and right when she first started reading it and it was that first mm -hmm. scene when she goes to visit him. And just kind of how awful he was to her during that first time they met. Um, and and mom yeah. was just kind of like, I don't want to know where this is going to go. Because if you've already <laughs> told me that the synopsis is she cares for him. But how in the world, you know, she should not be caring for him. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, but I think, I don't know. I wonder if it's also just kind of the guilt that she had um, of keeping that secret from him and hurting him that way. If she felt like she mm -hmm. owed it to him um, or if she, I felt like there was, she talked a lot about doing it for grace. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's the real reason or if that's kind of the reason she came up with, but yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. I felt like the whole time she was very, she felt like she had to because like some guilt that she had, right? Maybe her guilt was feeling yeah. her, but she didn't want to. Um, yeah, that was, it was, I think that I really enjoyed reading that in terms of, I think it could be really realistic for certain, for, for caregivers to feel that they are being completely, you know, it's a one-sided relationship where you're giving, 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 and there, and there's absolutely nothing that she's getting back, right? Um, she doesn't want Richard in her home. She doesn't want that relationship with him. Um, but yet she feels that she has to because there's nobody else for him. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was so interesting um, how, how he just felt like once she did take him in, how he felt like it was just like how he didn't even he's like well I don't even ask you to do hardly anything you know I, mm -hmm. I have all right I have Bill and then everybody else do everything which can I say I love Bill um he's the best Bill was awesome. probably in the whole book um you know <laughs> yes. bless Bill right <laughs> yeah that's right um but but yeah I thought it was so great and like just so I mean I think we've all been there in situations with someone or something you know it's just like well I didn't ask like I don't ask you to do hardly anything it's like are you kidding me <laughs> Right. It just so. felt like he was still obtuse to 
the fact that the world revolved around him still, you know? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it was hard because I did feel like I had all this animosity toward this, this guy who had this, uh, you know, very terrible <laughs> disease, obviously. <laughs> so I kind of felt bad about that, but I was like, oh. um, not exactly the me before you, um, sympathies but <laughs> yeah I wondered if you had you read that book or you just seen the movie no I haven't I haven't seen the movie but I read the book um oh you did two summers ago yeah oh cool I like that book so what do you think yeah. about it um it was good I think it was just really depressing I couldn't quite handle where I realized it was going to start going so um which and there's a sequel which I haven't read and it kind of I'm a little confused at how there is a sequel but <laughs> Yeah, there's a sequel and there's actually a third book that just came out like last summer. Oh. Um, I re I've read all three. The second book, I think, gets, I don't know, almost feels like a little bit more depressing because okay. she's dealing with the aftermath of yeah. um, the end of the first book. And and then, yeah, so then, and then the third book, I don't know, I feel like the third book was kind of pointless. Um but I really, I, that's Jojo Moyes. I really love right, her. Right. I really like her books. I read a lot of her books. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about that storyline when I was reading this because it, a lot of it's very similar. I feel like Me Before You, but puts a, however, Me Before You puts a very positive spin and um, kind of like tries to draw out all the things that are meaningful about life, even with a debilitating disease or condition that prohibits movement or prohibits um, enjoying certain pleasures of life. Yeah. So it was really interesting. And, and yeah, I, I did enjoy the fact that despite how Richard may have upset all of us by his actions and his only caring for himself, I, he did truly want to live. And I think that's something that I, I was, ex like, it made me happy to read it when I was in comparison to me before you, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's true. I think I, I know I had a friend, I have a friend, um, that is disabled and in, in, in a wheelchair. And I think she had expressed some concern about me before you and mm -hmm. just kind of said, look, that's not just because you're disabled doesn't mean that you are going to be not wanting to live, you know, kind of thing. And so I think that was something I was glad to see in this book is that Richard wanted to be there for Grace. I want, he wanted to be there for every life event for her, but he knew that mm -hmm. it wasn't worth it to put that everyone else through that. Um, right. So. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, his decision to essentially not be tricked, not to go on life support, essentially. I mean, I don't really know exactly, but to, to, yeah to allow the conditions of his disease to cause respiratory distress and eventually end his life. Um, I mean, I thought that was the most, I mean, just thinking about like Karina's response to like, I don't even want to talk to him about it because I know of course you're going to want to live. And of course that means I'm going to be in this position stuck with you for 20 years, you know, yeah. cleaning your diaper and making sure you're breathing. Um, but the fact that he kind of let go, I felt like was just a gift that he was giving you know, in a way, not that people who have disabilities need to die. I don't think that's the case. I think, but his is different in the sense that his disease right. has no cure. Um, and I think that was a like almost the most selfless thing that he has done. He did in his entire, that entire book in, the, in his life. 
Um, I like, so I felt like me before you gave an interest, I mean, we're, it's a different book, but um, <laughs> just in terms of like the thinking about what the will to live um, and how, I mean, I, I liked that it brought up a different perspective than the typical. Um, we don't usually think about the reasons people might want to end their life. Um, and so I thought that was interesting perspective, but I, I did, it was still was kind of depressing, but I did appreciate um, the Lou character in me before you, who um, was sort of the Pollyanna of the, of the book. But anyway, that's a different book, but <laughs> go read it. It's Another podcast. <laughs> Another podcast about that one. Um, several kind of on along that theme though, several of the books we've read this season have had an underlying theme of living a meaningful life and making your life, um, even like in, um, a gentleman in Moscow, Count Rostov's, um, life was very confined, but we talked about the ways that he had an impact on the world around him. Um, and so the idea of every note played kind of, to me, conjures up the idea of, we're each sort of playing the music of life and every note we play contributes to this masterpiece or something. So what did you think about Richard's life and did it have, do you feel like at the end it had meaning? Um, I think so. I think um, he, you know, he cared so deeply about the music that he created and provided um, joy and entertainment to people. And I think that was something that brought meaning to his life and to others' lives. Um, I think even um, his family, it was such rough relationships. Um, but I think his example of just kind of pushing through brought meaning to his brother's lives. I think it was interesting when his when he, they go to the funeral for his father and mm-hmm. they kind of apologize for their father's behavior for his whole life and you know, they ultimately say, we never really stood up for, for you because we were worried that he would do the same to us, but we always knew it was wrong, you know. And so I think he brought meaning. I think it made made it so that he made an impact on his brother's lives that they were not going to do the same for their children. Um, and going forward, it, it made a difference. What about That's you? Cool. Um. I agree that he, there was meaning in his life, but I do, I did kind of come away from the book thinking that he could have had more meaning had he, um, had he reached out and chosen it, that he, that he left a lot on the table, not only yeah. because his disease ended his life, but because he hadn't lived his life to the fullest, um, in terms of like his relationships. So sure. that I did kind of feel that way. Um, and I kind of feel I'll ask you about Karina's life too. I felt a little bit about Karina. She had let so many years go by without really taking the reins of her life and taking over control. Um, So I felt, again, I felt the same kind of thing. Her life hadn't, you know, she still had life to live. She didn't have ALS, but, and so she, I think she was making those changes at the end of the book. Um, But I did feel like her life had been so stifled up until then that, it was kind of, that was kind of sad to me, but what did you think about Karina's life? Yeah, no, it it was very sad to see, um, for both of them, the, you know, the opportunities they could have taken and the, the lives they could have lived. Um, I think, um, it kind of felt like 
the even though Karina didn't want a child and didn't want to have a family, I think she ended up kind of living her life for Grace in the end. And mm-hmm. so she did provide everything that Grace wanted and needed. Um, you know, and so I think there was that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was. I guess I was just really glad to see that her friends stood by her no matter what and were there when she was ready to to jump back into that life. Um, to any, there's yeah. something that would make her happy, whether how that, however that may be. Um, right. I think it is hopeful too to think that you can have that renewal of life at any time. And you know, like as long as you're alive and healthy and well. You can do that. So it was inspiring yeah. that she got, you know, she was inspired by the jazz musician she saw in New Orleans who was like in his 60s or something and just sort of just getting into jazz at that point in time or whatever. I'm sure he'd been a musician who was trained, but um, he, he was kind of making a new start for him at that age. And I think that inspired her. So I think there is there is hope that even with the years lost, there is opportunity to, to make changes and to um, – live your fullest life yeah definitely what was your favorite part of the book um well you just mentioned it I think my favorite part was when she goes to New Orleans um I think one way I really loved how they explained the outfit she was wearing Karina um, was wearing compared Mm -hmm. to the students um you know she had had this black cocktail dress that she had Mm -hmm. you know saved and she kind of squeezed into and wasn't mm-hmm. quite as you know hip and up to date as what the actual students were all wearing um or even mm-hmm. her friend um but it just yeah. it was so happy and I felt it was so inspiring for her to see that her life you know it wasn't over and there was so much more that she could enjoy and make the most of so it was cute that's great what was your favorite um my favorite um i really just liked um i liked kind of the ending i guess where um she decides that she's she's going to be a jazz pianist and then and then at the end where he's dying and she plays the chopin for him and he just that's the way he ends his life um yeah, so I just kind of I felt like it was just a really peaceful ending, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and just that kind of it was kind of this idea that his life um, was he was letting he was letting the next generation take on, like take hold, and he was letting Grace live her life, and he was letting Karina live her life, um, and that you know, I just thought it was a really sweet moment when she played the Chopin for him. Um, as he died. So <laughs> it's kind of depressing, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but it, I mean, I think it shows, it just shows real love. She knew what, she knew what he, um, what would make him happy. Yeah. And, right. You know, and like the part where they take the to- the vent out and they're like, oh, we brought in, a, we're going to bring in a music therapist. He's going to play some <laughs> guitar. And they're like, oh no, please no. Like he will die right now just because of that. Like how that about so we not funny. do that? So one thing I thought was interesting was like between the difference of jazz and classical and how much he disliked jazz. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Did you have any insight on, I, I guess I don't ever, I don't have such strong feelings about, like I enjoy all music and I don't mm-hmm. dislike one more than the other, but do you maybe I mean, recognize why that I might under- be? 
I mean, one is very black and white. Like classical music is very rule bound and jazz music is very free. Um, and I, and maybe, and, and they said that Karina was honestly a better player than him. Um, I was wondering. That was interesting. Yeah. What were going to say? Sorry, go ahead. I was wondering if that was one of the reasons why he disliked it so much is because he knew she would be better than him. Yeah, maybe he felt like he had mastered the classical and didn't, and felt intimidated by the jazz. Um, yeah. I mean, I can see both. I can see it's just a matter of taste, I suppose, to a certain extent, whether or not you like one or the other. But I mean, I, I agree. I like both. Um, I really appreciate jazz. When I, we were in New Orleans a few years ago, and I th- actually think we went to the same, <laughs> the actual um, theater that they mentioned in the book, um, oh, music cool. to, to watch jazz. But I, um, yeah, I really enjoy jazz, but I also really enjoy classical too. They're, di- they're different styles. Um, but I just think it was interesting that she, you know, she gave up. That was an interesting thing too. Like she just kind of caved because he, she knew that his ego needed to be stroked essentially. Um, because he kept, um, get, well, I mean, honestly, if she had kept with classical, I don't know if they ever would have stayed there. I mean, if she had their marriage or their relationship would have survived because he was so rude and honestly abusive about it um that was i thought that was interesting that she had given up her first love anyway and then she found the second love of jazz but then he um had such a hatred for it which is interesting Hmm. so it was kind of it was you know very inspirational at the end to a certain extent where he although i i mean i don't really feel like she needed permission from him like so I guess that was kind of like his legacy to her is like, oh, go make jazz. It's just like, yeah, I already decided, decided to do that. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> um, but I mean, the fact that he got on board with it was, you know, a gesture of, of love and appreciation that he had not given her in a long time. Let's see. Are you ready for recommendations? Yeah, this is my favorite part. Awesome. So now it's time to share recommendations for our listeners. And so this is the part where my guests and I share what's bringing us joy, making us happy. So Hannah, what is bringing you joy lately? Hmm. All right. So I've been thinking about this in preparation for this podcast, and I've been trying to narrow down my list. Um, So a few things. First off, um, I know that you don't have a Trader Joe's near you. So but hopefully you will soon because one of my favorite things that's just making me super happy um, is they have these pre-made pizza dough balls at Trader Joe's and Mm. they have plain and they have like a plain white wheat and then they have a whole wheat but my favorite is they have an herb and garlic pizza dough and it's it's like in the refrigerated section and it's $1.19 for a, a ball of pizza dough and it's so easy to just pick up from the grocery store and make for dinner that night. And it's just super quick and easy and it tastes really good. So that, that sounds yummy. What do you go ahead? What do you put on your pizza? Um, so we've kind of been trying to go meatless recently. So we put, um, we use mozzarella cheese and then, um, like usually red onions and roasted red peppers um and spinach and olives um yeah kind of a mixture tonight we actually made it tonight for dinner um and i mixed in um 
fresh, not fresh, but like the minced garlic. I mix that in with the pizza sauce. Oh, okay. Yeah. And spread that on. Um, so yeah, it's one of my favorite things right now. Um, that sounds really good. Yeah. And then a couple other things. Um, just we, I really love eating out. Um, but I don't know. I don't I think it's still spring weather in Missouri. Um, I don't know if it's gotten hot yet. But just sitting outside is one of my favorite things um, recently. Mm-hmm. It's just out like, I don't know. It's kind of sounds kind of silly, but it's just like going to a restaurant and going to a restaurant that has outdoor seating has just been making me really happy recently. So that, that sounds be, lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Um, and then I guess the only other thing, and I didn't get a chance to embarrass you earlier with this, um, <laughs> but mom sent me, um, I had a book, a box of books that I left at her house. Um, and now that we have a place to store them, she mailed me all my books. Um, and all of my Nancy Drew books came that oh, I had. Nancy Drew. So just, you know, I've, I've been wanting to kind of pick up some of those and like reread those, but for your listeners that don't know, um, Catherine, we used to, I'm Catherine's seven years older than me. And so you would read Nancy Drew to me while we shared a room, um, many, many nights. So, um, that was the only book that I, I didn't hide from you when I wanted you to <laughs> hang out with me. So yes, Hannah was notorious for, hiding my book from me when I was trying to read my book and she, and I was like, where'd my book go? It's just right here. And she was like, no, you have to play with me. <laughs> I was like, where's my book? <laughs> I think, I think seven years is, you know, a perfect age gap for to be yeah. know, super cute and super annoying at the same time. So. That's fun. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. I remember reading to you a lot when you were um, younger before you know, before you were really reading age and I was in elementary, late elementary, whatever. Um, I remember one time I was going to a sleepover and I often would read to you before I went to bed. And so you like had this book, it was a bread and jam for Francis or something like that. And, um, she, you were like, okay, like you were mad that I was going to the sleepover, I think. And so you're like, well, you have to read me my books. And so we were in the car and mom was, dro- mom was driving me over there. And I was like reading really fast to get through all these books that you wanted me to read. Cause you, I think your thought process was like, if you have these books to read to me, you can't go to the sleepover. So <laughs> I was like reading really fast to get through. And it was just, oh, it was fine. It was good. I felt bad, but I mean, it was, it was fine, but it was just kind of cute. You were like, oh finish all the books. <laughs> That's so funny. But yes, funny. so go read a <laughs> Nancy you... Drew book, you know. Oh, I love Nancy Drew. Good memory. She's fun. What about you? You have yeah, so... things that make you happy? Yes, I am going to recommend classical piano music, kind of like I already did. And, I, and I'm just going to steal yours to say, go check out that Spotify um, playlist to check out the music from the book. I, I really enjoyed listening to classical piano music again when I was reading this book um and then the next thing is a book I read for a book club that I'm actually since we're moving I'm not actually gonna be able to go to the book club which I'm kind of disappointed about but that's okay um it's but it was just fascinating I read it all in one day um it was just a page turner for me it was called the girl with seven names and I'm gonna butcher this name but it's Hyunsyo Lee um she is 
she was born in North Korea and she defected. And it's her mm. actual um, true memoir bi- autobiography of her story. Super fascinating, super interesting. She was um, born to sort of an upper class, not quite. She didn't live in Pyongyang. She didn't. Um, she wasn't like elite, but she did have, you know, she never went hungry. She never had um, experienced with some of the poverty, a lot of the poverty and, and the abuse that went on. She was kind of protected from it a lot of her life, and she didn't always see it in her friends. She was um, kind of insulated from that a lot, but it was just a very interesting story and to kind of peek behind that curtain, and to, it was just amazing. Um, so I recommend that. And then also on a little bit of a Korean kick too, I have just been really enjoying this series on Netflix called Kim's Convenience. It is a um, comedy. It's set in Toronto. It's an immigrant family who owns a convenience store and it's kind of this intergenerational issues between the parents who were born in Korea and their kids who were born in Canada and just, you know, kind of um, situational funny things, but it's, it's really fun. I've really been enjoying it. It's really well done. It's really funny. So I recommend that. Yeah. That sounds super good. I want to go watch that now. Yeah. And the nice thing about it is the episodes are like, they're like 30 minutes long. So, um, they're, they're super easy to consume and they don't take up your whole night when you try to watch one. Yeah. I, I know I've been watching like hour long episodes recently, so those are hard to binge but that sounds like a good one to add to my list. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for coming on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I was able to qualify to be on your podcast. So this is fun. (laughs) We'll have to have you back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Infinitely Prefer a Book. This episode is our season finale. Thank you to all those who have supported me in this podcasting journey. I will be taking a break from full episodes during the summer and using that time to prepare for season two, which will resume in the fall. If you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, please reach out to me. I love meeting new people who love books as much as I do. In the meantime, share the love by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, tag me on Instagram at book. Or email me at infinitelypreferabook at gmail.com and tell me what is on your summer reading list. Happy reading. It was interesting to me, like,